Chapter 12 of Sefloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neela, Iowa City, Iowa. Sefloya by Charlotte Dacry. Chapter 12. It may be remembered that when detailing the misfortunes which befell the family of Lorandani, in consequence of the desertion of Lorena, from her husband and children to the arms of an adulterer. We related at that epoch the sudden flight of the young Leonardo from his paternal roof, to which he had never more returned. It is his progress from that time and the events which led him ultimately to determine on the commission of the most horrible of crimes that we are now going briefly to revert to. The high and susceptible feelings which actuated the bosom of this youth, when little more than sixteen years of age, caused him, under their uncontrollable influence, to rush from the house of his father as soon as he learned the unfortunate dereliction from the path of honor of his other parent. Scarcely to the youth himself were his sensations definable, but his naturally soaring spirit, unbroken by restraint, strengthened too by the high notions of family honor which the Marquez had delighted to inculcate in the heir of his house and fortunes, gave him a feeling confused and agonized that to remain longer on the spot where his mother had heaped disgrace upon her ruined family would be vile and unworthy. Impressed with this idea, he took his rash determination. It was to fly from Venice, never perhaps to behold it more. In the shortest possible time, he endeavored to accelerate his distance from a city now grown hateful to him, and to lose by motion and change of scene the uneasy reflections that oppressed his proud but noble heart. Even to fly from Venice was not enough. To remain near it was death to his soul. Nor did he for an hour intermit the rapidity of his movements until, almost without knowing, certainly without designing it, he found himself in the delightful country of Tuscany. Awakened to cooler recollection. Here, then, he energetically exclaimed, Here, then, I may breathe without an oppression of the heart. And here, too, necessity compelled him to rest, for the enthusiastic youth, careless of the future, when he left his luxurious home, was but scantily supplied with money, and all he had possessed was by this time expended. And what then, he cried, as sober reason suggested this reflection to his mind, better to die an exile in the furthest corner of the globe, better to die in poverty and want than live in a luxury which the soul despises. It was evening, and the young Leonardo reclined pensively on the bank of the majestic Arno. The sun had sunk in the west, and misty shadows were collecting upon the mountains. For the first time, he began to reflect upon his situation, whither he must now continue to bend his steps, and how he should support life, 
having thus cast himself upon a friendless world. His thoughts became painful and embarrassing. He sought again to lose them in activity and spring hastily from his recumbent posture. He had not proceeded far ere he beheld a large and elegant mansion, which from the extreme beauty of its architecture, standing too wholly by itself, riveted his attention. He continued to approach, and when he drew near, stopped involuntarily to contemplate it. While he was thus employed, a gentleman of a noble and superior appearance came from the house, and being attracted by the animated countenance and figure of Leonardo, he was induced to approach him and inquire by what chance he had wandered to this beautiful solitude. Leonardo replied firmly and without hesitation that he was a youth whom misfortunes, not to be explained, had driven from his home, and that he was straying. He neither knew nor was solicitous whither. Struck by the singularity of this reply, in which there was something to interest an expanded mind, the stranger, who was called Signor Zappi, felt impelled to increase, if possible, his acquaintance with the youth, whom chance had thus introduced to his attention. Well, my young friend, he said, if you will enter my mansion, which seems to have attracted your notice, we may have some conversation that perhaps may not prove unsatisfactory to either of us. Your appearance and manner please me, and I should feel happy to know more of you. To this frank invitation, the warm-hearted youth readily assented, and accepting with an ingenuous air the proffered hand of Signor Zappi, they entered the house together. Leonardo was conducted into an elegant apartment, where, desiring him to be seated, Signor Zappi inquired of him if he stood in need of refreshment. Leonardo replied in the negative, some indifferent conversation then ensued, when, though with the utmost delicacy, his liberal host expressed a desire to be informed of his name. The youth blushed. My name, he replied, is Leonardo. That which is subjoined to it, I must be excused from revealing. Circumstances have impelled me to leave my home, and as I feel it impossible, Signor, Utterly impossible, he added, rising hastily from his chair, to gratify a curiosity so proper and so natural for you to feel respecting one you have admitted beneath your roof. I will, with your permission, take my leave and no longer intrude upon your hospitality. That must not be indeed, my young friend, answered Signor Zappi. There is that in your appearance and manner, as I have said, which interests me considerably. Keep then your secret, if you wish it, and since you are avowedly at present a child of fortune, indifferent and undecided whither you bend your course, remain for a short time where chance has directed you, and forbear, young and enthusiastic as you appear, to cast yourself upon the careless world. 
Leonardo's heart was penetrated with gratitude at the kind words of the benevolent stranger. His dreadful, and as he conceived it, disgraceful, family secret, his pride shrunk from acknowledging. But feeling in an instant the good fortune he experienced and having met in the forlornness of his situation, one who appeared inclined to befriend him, he cast himself at the feet of Zappi, unable to restrain his tears. This excellent being, whose philanthropic heart led him to seek every opportunity, not only of befriending his species, but, if possible, of preserving them from ill, was deeply affected. That the nature of the youth was noble, he easily conceived. That some sentiment of a high and honorable, though perhaps misguided, tendency had induced him to fly his home, he likewise believed. Therefore, gently, raising him in his arms, he said, "'Come, then, Leonardo, I desire to know you by no other name. Come, let us quit this room, and, as a son of a friend, I will introduce you to my wife and daughter.' The wife of Zoppi, however, chanced to be, in every respect, the reverse of her husband." for she possessed an intriguing spirit and a profligate heart. But it is not intended to dwell minutely upon every progressive incident that befell the young Leonardo, to skim lightly, on the contrary, over all, excepting that which led to his connection with Megalina Strozzi is the present purpose. The Signor Zoppi then daily grew more attached to the youth of his adoption, when absent, his conversation to his wife teemed with his praises. When present, he continually sought modes of drawing forth his character, and every trait he discovered added to the warm impression that his pristine ingenuousness had made upon his benevolent mind. It so happened, unfortunately, that Zoppi was not singular in his admiration of the youth for he had not been very long an inmate in his house before the Signora Zabi became a warmer eulogist in his favor than even her husband. She paid him beside the most pointed attentions. Yet it was not his ardent character, his talents, or his virtues which attracted her distinguished regard. No, it was the charms of his person, the beauty of his form and face, which had drawn towards him her attention. And true it is, they displayed a manliness and grace far above his years. Yet, not similarly disposed in her favor, was the object of her growing passion. His admiration, his thoughts, and all he knew of love was bestowed upon Amania, her lovely and more approximating daughter. This, to her dismay, the wife of Zoppi soon discovered, but bent upon carrying her point, she resorted to all the fascination of dress, to the allurements of softness and the most tender attentions. But all this, too, might the more forcibly impress his mind, she, as much as possible, upon various pretexts, remove the fair Amamia from his view, 
Still, all was unavailing. The youth felt gratitude for the kindness shown him by the wife of his friend, but he felt no more. About a year had now elapsed since his first introduction to the house of Zoppi, yet still the secret of his alienation from home was locked in the recesses of his heart, guarded by an impenetrable aegis of punctilious pride and delicacy. The good Zoppi, indeed, had long ceased to hint at any desire for information upon the subject. He felt happy in the society of the youth, and he required no painful acknowledgments on his side for the friendship he had delighted to shew him. He had never yet, from any act or any conduct of Leonardo, had occasion to regret his intimacy in his family. No trait of vice, of meanness, or ingratitude had ever yet exhibited themselves in his character. Zoppi was a plain and pure professor of morality, as well as a benevolent being, and if he had had reason to suspect aught amiss in the heart of his young friend, painful as would have been the task, he would have felt it his duty to drive him from beneath his roof, lest, by appearing to protect and cherish vice, he should inculcate lessons of dangerous tendency into the mind of his daughter, and by an inevitable progression injure rather than benefit society. The passion of Zoppi's wife had by this time grown to such a height that she felt it utterly impossible longer to conceal it from the object that had inspired it. She determined, therefore, whatever the consequence, to make it known to him. For this purpose she seized an opportunity when her husband and the fair Amamia were absent to follow him into the garden whither he had retired to think without interruption, and with all the enthusiasm of an innocent first love upon his mistress. As he reclined upon a seat, he beheld coming towards him the mother of her he loved, and respectfully he would have arisen, but as she drew near him, gently laying her hand upon his shoulder, she prevented him from doing so, and seated herself beside him. "'You were absorbed in thought, Leonardo.' said she. I was indeed, answered the youth, blushing. You were thinking of her you love, I wager, pursued the wanton wife of Zappi, and heaved a sigh, fixing upon him her eyes at the same time, in which were depicted the troubled emotions of her agitated soul. Leonardo, who was thinking of Amamia, re-echoed her sigh. The sigh was electric fluid through her breast and fanned the fires which were raging in her heart. She took his hand and, fervently pressing it, said, You are beloved in return. Yes, Leonardo, most charming of youths, you are indeed beloved. Are you certain? replied the transported boy, springing from his recumbent attitude. Oh, I am but too certain, frantically replied the degraded female, falling at his feet and thrown completely off her guard. You are beloved, oh, how madly, by me, by you, signora, cried the astonished youth. You jest, surely, 
Rise, rise, I beseech you, from your unbecoming posture, unbecoming towards me, he sternly added. Oh, Leonardo, I love, I adore you, cried the abandoned wife. Spurn me not, then, I conjure you, for I cannot, cannot conquer the fatal passion with which you have inspired me. Signora Zappi, you strike me with horror, exclaimed the youth. It is your daughter, it is your blooming daughter that I love. What? And will you never love me, boy? In an accent of rage and grief she cried. No, never while I have breath, never, emphatically replied Leonardo, disengaging himself from her wild embrace. Allow me, if possible, to respect you. Curses then seize thee, miscreant, shrieked the wife of Zoppi in an agony of rage and disappointment, and casting her from her with vehemence. I will live to blast thee for this. Most infamous of women, returned Leonardo passionately. Let me fly from thy loathed presence. Let me again in the wide world seek a refuge from infamy and shame. For infamy it is to be the object of thy love. So saying, with impetuosity, he rushed from the spot and would have fled from the house altogether. But that a thought of Amamia darting across his mind, he felt an irresistible desire to see her once more, ere he quitted forever a roof that had sheltered him so long. He therefore hastened to his chamber, where he determined to abide till the arrival of Zappi and his daughter. Meantime, his disappointed enamorata, rendered half frantic by the contempt and indignation with which her abandoned overtures had been received, resolved in the tumultuous vengeance of her soul to destroy and blacken the youth whose virtue she had failed to corrupt, or it was not virtue that actuated him, but merely that the temptation offered him was not sufficient to seduce it. Still, the reflection was, in either case, maddening and humiliating, and how she might most bitterly cause him to repent his conduct was now her sole consideration. At length, the demon of hate and revenge suggested to her a plan sufficiently diabolical. With eager and triumphant malice, she instantly began tearing her apparel to tatters. Then taking some gravel between her hands, careless of pain, in pursuance of her revenge, she rubbed it with violence over her face and hands till the blood flowed, and in this state determined to await the return of her husband. Presently she heard him arrive. She flew round the garden, and as he entered the house, met him at the door, and cast herself as if in an agony of shame and horror before him. Zappi, who tenderly loved his wife, was shocked and dismayed. He caused her to be carried into the house and laid upon a bed, and then tremblingly entreated to be informed what terrible event had befallen her. 
the false and unworthy wife then motioned for everyone to withdraw, and pressing with seeming love and agitation his hand to her lips, she replied thus to his anxious enquiries. Oh, my beloved husband, that scorpion we have nourished so long. Behold, what has been our reward? It is to that audacious, that hypocritical stripling you must attribute what you now behold. Finding me alone in the garden, he first presumed to insult me with professions of a dishonorable love. I rebuked the saucy boy and attempted to rise, when suddenly seizing me in his arms, I found my strength unequal to his. I shrieked aloud. He became, I suppose, apprehensive of discovery, and fled from the garden, leaving his infamous purpose unaccomplished. The wife of Zappi ceased, and bursting into tears, as if oppressed with a sense of shame, covered her face with her hands depraved, ungrateful viper, exclaimed the deluded Zoppy. Could I ever have imagined of thee this? But instantly shall he know. First he shall appear before us and be forced to reply whether sudden madness or deliberate villainy impelled to this criminal attempt. So saying, Zoppy, summoning a servant, bade him tell the young Leonardo that his presence was immediately desired. At this mandate, the infamous wife of Zoppi felt somewhat alarmed, but resolving to persevere in her plot, she offered no objection. In the course of a few moments, the youth entered the room. He started on beholding the maimed figure of his accuser, but his step was firm and unhesitating. His eye was open, and on his blooming cheek, guilt had set no mark. Wretch, began Signor Zappi, unmindful of these appearances, tallying so little with imputed crime. Wretch, dare you to appear before me with that audacious front? See there your work, young but most infamous monster, so green in years, so old in the basest profligacy. What, might not the wife of your benefactor have been held sacred by you? Durst you endeavor to break through the nearest and the dearest connections that are respected between man and man? Could you trample thus on every principle of honor and of gratitude? Attempt the subversion of moral order and trespass upon sacred social affinities? Worthless profligate and unfeeling boy, quit instantly a roof which has sheltered you too long and never let me more behold your face. During this bitter language, which was addressed to him, Leonardo made no attempt to speak. He folded his arms upon his bosom, and as the deluded Zoppi proceeded, he saw the depth of the plot which had been imagined against him by his depraved wife. The instinctive pride, however, of his nature spurned at the unmerited imputations which had been cast upon him and the poignant invective with which they were accompanied. 
He scorned, proudly scorned, to attempt a vindication, and perhaps a magnanimous sentiment of gratitude made him desire to spare his friend and benefactor too accurate information of his wife's depravity, if such his indignation would have allowed him to listen to. Therefore, when he perceived that he had concluded, in a gentle but firm voice, he thus replied, I am ready, Signor Zappi, to depart your house. I thank you for all the favors you have conferred on me, and wish you may never experience from others greater ingratitude than you have met for me. So saying, he bowed respectfully and moved towards the door, yet ere he quitted the room, turning his eyes full upon the wife of Zappi, he looked at her for a moment with such dignity and scorn blended that her soul trembled within her, and involuntarily she passed her hand over her eyes. With firm and majestic step, he retired. His first impulse led him to the chamber he had been taught to call his. There, with swelling heart but tearless eye, he placed with indignant eagerness upon a table every trinket he had about him, which his benefactor, in the plenitude of fond affection, had bestowed upon him. Of money he retained not a mervedi. Then, unlocking a drawer, where on first becoming an inmate in the house of Signor Zappi, he had deposited, from a certain feeling at the moment indefinable, the clothes which he had worn on entering it, and the only ones he possessed. He cast off hastily those in which he was now clad, and substituted for them such of his own as his increased height and bulk would allow him to make use of. Bitterly did it corrode the heart of the youth that he could not, in like manner, return every benefit he had received. Yet since that was impossible, he could only determine to retain nothing that might be resigned. Then surveying himself from head to foot with a mingled feeling, he exclaimed, These are they own, all too, that I can well call mine. Oh, mother, mother! For this I thank thee. Becoming now more violently agitated from succeeding reflections, he rushed from the chamber and fled hastily through the house. Once he stopped with the fond wish to take a last leave of the fair Amamia, but on the recollection that he must either expose to her the infamy of his mother or himself appear culpable in her eyes, he conquered the impulse and pursued his way hastily across the garden. Anxious to lose sight of the house, he halted not till he found himself at a considerable distance from it and had walked at a rapid pace for several hours. Actual weariness at length compelled him for a moment to rest. The energy of his mind had till now supported him. He became conscious that he had walked many miles. Nature felt overpowered, and reluctantly he seated himself at the foot of a tree. Uneasy recollections began to enter his mind, with his head reclining on his hand, and voluntarily he suffered a deep gloom to take possession of him. It was past noon when he quitted the abode of Zappi.
He now strained his tearful eyes and beheld the east beginning to be obscured by the shades of evening. His oppression increased, but his strength of mind shewed him the necessity of combating it. He started on his feet and turned his face to the west. There he beheld the glorious sun, declining indeed, but declining in a blaze of radiance. The sky around represented a thousand brilliant figures. The tops of the mountains, catching the last rays, reflected many different degrees of light and shade. The youth felt no longer overcome by melancholy. His heart cheated, painful ideas gave place to indefinite hopes, and he determined that he would no more indulge in the weakness of useless regret. Pursuing a path that chance alone directed, he soon found himself winding among those beautiful mountains whose beautiful bosoms are covered with olive and the luxurious vine. Wherever a beautiful villa met his eye, instinctively he turned aside. The shades of evening began to thicken, and the young exile from home was still, unsheltered for the night. At length, wandering onwards, he beheld, situated in a glen, a small and low-roofed cottage. To perceive it fully, it was even necessary to ascend a considerable way the mountain at the foot of which it humbly rose. It was embosomed by trees and surrounded by a garden, seeming the abode of industrious poverty rather than the seclusion of romantic whim. At all events, Leonardo shunned it not, but resolved to investigate it nearer and ascertained by whom it was inhabited. As he continued to approach, the voice of moaning and distress sounded on his ear. This hastened his steps, and he speedily gained the little narrow path which led to the cottage. There, seated outside of the door, he beheld an aged female, weeping and wringing her hands. Sorrow was in unison with the heart of the youth, and in a gentle voice he asked if her grief might admit of consolation and assistance. Alas, no, she answered, redoubling her tears. Death admits no remedy. It has deprived me of my only hope and comfort in this world, of my poor Hugo, my darling son. Oh, Signor, that he should go before me. Who now will support my tottering limbs? Who provide for the short remnant of my days? Who work for, who befriend, the poor, forsaken Nina? But weep not so bitterly, good mother, said Leonardo. Admit me into your cottage, and if you will be kind enough to give me a draught of milk, we will talk further upon the subject of your sorrow. Perhaps things may not prove so bad as you at this moment apprehend. The voice of consolation is always sweet, but doubly sweet when coming from buoyant youth to age. The poor Nina rose with the utmost alacrity she possessed from her seat, and hobbling into her cottage, she sat in silence before him, while her tears continued, though more slowly, to flow, the best that her cottage afforded. When Leonardo had a little satisfied his hunger, 
for the almost unremitting fatigue he had undergone for the last seven or eight hours had completely exhausted him. He took the hand of his aged hostess, who involuntarily had seated herself beside him, and said, Tell me, my good mother, how old was your son Hugo? He was twenty, signor, on the blessed day of San Galbert. And tell me, Nina. But Nina would not allow him to proceed. Oh, Santo Pedro! Was he not everything to poor Nina? Signor, I have a little garden, and Hugo it was who turned it to account. I have a vineyard, too, and Hugo looked to it. But he would seldom leave his aged mother, Signor, for mother, he would say, it is better to give this or that or a little upon what we dispose of to Pietro or Varro, and let them manage for us than for me to leave you, mother, who can't well help yourself. Signor, I have lately got a little the better of a terrible pain in my poor limbs, and now, oh, Mr. Ricordo, to lose my staff, my dear boy. Oh, Signor, I vex my heart, and think he works beyond his strength, for he was always weak and sickly from a dear child. Here, poor Nina was interrupted by her tears at the recollection of what her son had been to her. An idea had entered the mind of Leonardo while she spoke, which every moment acquired fresh force from a view of its eligibility. A garden to cultivate, a vineyard to attend, no occasion for public exposition in the market or even the town, her son in a declining state too, and yet capable of doing all that was necessary to be done. Surely I... He turned towards Nina, who was still bitterly lamenting. Come, worthy Nina, dry up your tears. What if I could supply to you the place of your son? Would you allow me to remain under your roof and accept of my best endeavors? Oh, Cielo, be praised, be adored for this, joyfully exclaimed the aged Nina, dropping on her knees and fervently kissing the ground. Oh, as I live, my heart began to feel lighter the, the instant I set my eyes upon you. And though I did continue to weep, Signor, weeping again, for my dear lost son Hugo, yet I vow and protest by the blessed Maria, I felt as if a ray of light shot through my breast. Well, rise now, my good Nina, and let us talk further. Nina, trembling, arose. You must give me some instructions, my good Nina, for though I understand sufficient of gardening, there are many things I shall require you to explain to me. This Nina, her heart almost bursting with conflicting joy and regret, joy that she had found a protector and regret that she had lost one, readily promised. Some necessary conversation then ensued, and Leonardo, feeling within himself no doubt of success in his new situation, consented at an early hour to retire to repose, sensible of intense fatigue from the exertion of the day. The aged Nina conducted him to a little chamber which had appertained to her deceased son, and, with a heart infinitely lightened, 
Leonardo took possession of the homely bed which it contained. As he reclined his head upon the pillow, this is the second time, he exclaimed, that the heir of Lorandani has been indebted to the benevolence of strangers for shelter, that the humanity of strangers has compassionated his forlornness, and that the bounty of strangers has cherished and protected him. Oh, mother, mother, unkind, to thee and thee alone do I owe all this. With this bitter, though just reflection, burning at his heart, he fell asleep. And had the son of Lorena expired in that sleep, he would have appeared at the bar of heaven with an accusation against his mother registered in his heart. Let other mothers tremble at this reflection and pause on mediated guilt. End of chapter 12